Section 80 of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Part 2, Book the Fifth, Chapter 5. We Think We Remember, We Forget. Whence arise those strange visible changes which occur in the soul of man? Gwynplaine had been at the same moment raised to a summit and cast into an abyss. His head swam with double giddiness, the giddiness of ascent and descent, a fatal combination. He felt himself ascend and felt not his fall. It is appalling to see a new horizon. A perspective affords suggestions but not always good ones. He had before him the fairy glade, a snare perhaps, seen through opening clouds and showing the blue depths of sky, so deep that they are obscure. He was on the mountain, whence he could see all the kingdoms of the earth, a mountain all the more terrible that it is a visionary one. Those who are on its apex are in a dream. Palaces, castles, power, opulence, all human happiness extending as far as eye could reach, a map of enjoyments spread out to the horizon, a sort of radiant geography of which he was the centre, a perilous mirage. Imagine what must have been the haze of such a vision, not led up to, not attained to as by the gradual steps of a ladder, but reached without transition and without previous warning. A man going to sleep in a mole's burrow, and awakening on the top of the Strasbourg steeple, such was the state of Gwynplaine. Giddiness is a dangerous kind of glare, particularly that which bears you at once towards the day and towards the night, forming two whirlwinds, one opposed to the other. He saw too much and not enough. He saw all and nothing. His state was what the author of this book has somewhere expressed as the blind man dazzled. Gwynplaine, left by himself, began to walk with long strides. A bubbling precedes an explosion. Notwithstanding his agitation in this impossibility of keeping still, he meditated. His mind liquefied as it boiled. He began to recall things to his memory. It is surprising how we find that we have heard so clearly that to which we scarcely listened. The declaration of the shipwrecked men, read by the sheriff in the Southwark cell, came back to him clearly and intelligibly. He recalled every word. He saw under it his whole infancy. Suddenly he stopped, his hands clasped behind his back, looking up to the ceilings, the sky, no matter what, whatever was above him. Quits, he cried. He felt like one whose head rises out of the water. It seemed to him that he saw everything, the past, the future, the present, in the accession of a sudden flash of light. Oh, he cried, for there are cries in the depths of thought. Oh, it was so, was it? I was a lord, all is discovered. They stole, betrayed, destroyed, abandoned, disinherited, murdered me. The corpse of my destiny floated fifteen years on the sea. All at once it touched the earth, and it started up erect and living. I am reborn. 
I am born. I felt under my rags that the breast there palpitating was not that of a wretch, and when I looked on crowds of men, I felt that they were the flocks, and that I was not the dog, but the shepherd. Shepherds of the people, leaders of men, guides and masters, such were my fathers, and what they were, I am. I am a gentleman, and I have a sword. I am a baron, and I have a cask. I am a marquis, and I have a plume. I am a peer, and I have a coronet. Lo, they deprived me of all this. I dwelt in light, they flung me into darkness. Those who proscribed the father sold the son. When my father was dead, they took from beneath his head the stone of exile, which he had placed for his pillow, and tying it to my neck, they flung me into a sewer. Oh, those scoundrels who tortured my infancy! Yes, they rise and move in the depths of my memory. Yes, I see them again. I was that morsel of flesh pecked to pieces on a tomb by a flight of crows. I bled and cried under all those horrible shadows. Lo, it was there that they precipitated me under the crush of those who come and go, under the trampling feet of men, under the undermost of the human race, lower than the serf, baser than the serving man, lower than the felon, lower than the slave, at a spot where chaos becomes a sewer in which I was engulfed. It is from thence that I come. It is from this that I rise. It is from this that I am risen. And here I am now. Quits. He sat down. He rose, clasped his head with his hands, began to pace the room again, and his tempestuous monologue continued within him. Where am I? On the summit? Where is it that I have just alighted? On the highest peak? This pinnacle, this grandeur, this dome of the world, this great power is my home. This temple is in air. I am one of the gods. I live in inaccessible heights. This supremacy which I looked up to from below, and from whence emanated such rays of glory that I shut my eyes, this ineffaceable peerage, this impregnable fortress of the fortunate, I enter. I am in it. I am of it. Ah, what a decisive turn of the wheel. I was below, I am on high, on high forever. Behold me, a lord. I shall have a scarlet robe. I shall have an earl's coronet on my head. I shall assist in the coronation of kings. They will take the oath from my hands. I shall judge princes and ministers. I shall exist. From the depths into which I was thrown, I have rebounded to the zenith. I have palaces in town and country, houses, gardens, chases, forests, carriages, millions. I will give fates, I will make laws, I shall have the choice of joys and pleasures. And the vagabond Gwynplaine, who had not the right to gather a flower in the grass, may pluck the stars from heaven. Melancholy overshadowing of a soul's brightness. Thus it was that in Gwynplaine, who had been a hero, and perhaps had not ceased to be one, moral greatness gave way to material splendor, a lamentable transition. Virtue broken down by a troop of passing demons. A surprise made on the weak side of man's fortress. All the inferior circumstances called by men superior, 
ambition, the purblind desires of instinct, passions, covetousness, driven far from Gwynplaine by the wholesome restraints of misfortune, took tumultuous possession of his generous heart. And from what had this arisen? From the discovery of a parchment in a waif drifted by the sea. Conscience may be violated by a chance attack. Gwynplaine drank in great draughts of pride, and it dulled his soul. Such is the poison of that fatal wine. Giddiness invaded him. He more than consented to its approach. He welcomed it. This was the effect of previous and long-continued thirst. Are we an accomplice of the cup which deprives us of reason? He had always vaguely desired this. His eyes had always turned towards the great. To watch is to wish. The eaglet is not born in the airy for nothing. Now, however, at moments, it seemed to him the simplest thing in the world that he should be a lord. A few hours only had passed, and yet the past of yesterday seemed so far off. Gwynplaine had fallen into the ambuscade of better, who was the enemy of good. Unhappy is he of whom we say, how lucky he is. Adversity is more easily resisted than prosperity. We rise more perfect from ill-fortune than from good. There is a Charybdis in poverty, and a Scylla in riches. Those who remain erect under the thunderbolt are prostrated by the flash. Thou who standest without shrinking on the verge of a precipice, fear lest thou be carried up on the innumerable wings of mists and dreams. The ascent which elevates will dwarf thee. An apotheosis has a sinister power of degradation. It is not easy to understand what is good luck. Chance is nothing but a disguise. Nothing deceives so much as the face of fortune. Is she providence? Is she fatality? A brightness may not be a brightness because light is truth, and a gleam may be a deceit. You believe that it lights you, but no, it sets you on fire. At night, a candle made of mean tallow becomes a star if placed in an opening in the darkness. The moth flies to it. In what measure is the moth responsible? The sight of the candle fascinates the moth as the eye of the serpent fascinates the bird. Is it possible that the bird and the moth should resist the attraction? Is it possible that the leaf should resist the wind? Is it possible that the stone should refuse obedience to the laws of gravitation? These are material questions, which are moral questions as well. After he had received the letter of the Duchess, Gwynplaine had recovered himself. The deep love in his nature had resisted it. But the storm, having wearied itself on one side of the horizon, burst out on the other, for in destiny as in nature there are successive convulsions. The first shock loosens, the second uproots. Alas, how do the oaks fall? Thus he who, when a child of ten, stood alone on the shore of Portland ready to give battle, who had looked steadfastly at all the combatants whom he had to encounter, the blast which bore away the vessel in which he had expected to embark, the gulf which had swallowed up the plank, the yawning abyss of which the menace was its retrocession, 
the earth which refused him a shelter the sky which refused him a star solitude without pity obscurity without notice ocean sky all the violence of one infinite space and all the mysterious enigmas of another he who had neither trembled nor fainted before the mighty hostility of the unknown he who still so young had held his own with right as hercules of old had held his own with death he who in the unequal struggle had thrown down this defiance that he a child adopted a child that he encumbered himself with the load when tired and exhausted thus rendering himself an easier prey to the attacks on his weakness and as it were himself unmuzzling the shadowy monsters in ambush around him he who a precocious warrior had immediately and from his first steps out of the cradle struggled breast to breast with destiny he whose disproportion with strife had not discouraged from striving he who perceiving in everything around him a frightful occultation of the human race had accepted that eclipse and proudly continued his journey he who had known how to endure cold thirst hunger valiantly he who a pygmy in stature had been a colossus in soul this gwynplaine who had conquered the great terror of the abyss under its double form tempest and misery staggered under a breath vanity thus when she has exhausted distress nakedness storms catastrophes agonies on an unflinching man fatality begins to smile and her victim suddenly intoxicated staggers the smile of fatality can anything more terrible be imagined it is the last resource of the pitiless trier of souls in his proof of man the tiger lurking in destiny caresses man with a velvet paw sinister preparation hideous gentleness in the monster every self-observer has detected within himself mental weakness coincident with aggrandizement a sudden growth disturbs the system and produces fever in gwynplaine's brain was the giddy whirlwind of a crowd of new circumstances all the light and shade of a metamorphosis inexpressibly strange confrontations the shock of the past against the future two gwynplaines himself doubled behind an infant in rags crawling through night wandering shivering hungry provoking laughter in front a brilliant nobleman luxurious proud dazzling all london he was casting off one form and amalgamating himself with the other he was casting the mountebank and becoming the peer change of skin is sometimes change of soul now and then the past seemed like a dream it was complex bad and good he thought of his father it was a poignant anguish never to have known his father he tried to picture him to himself he thought of his brother of whom he had just heard then he had a family he gwynplaine he lost himself in fantastic dreams he saw visions of magnificence unknown forms of solemn grandeur moved in mist before him he heard flourishes of trumpets and then he said i shall be eloquent he pictured to himself a splendid entrance into the house of lords he should arrive full to the brim with new facts and ideas 
What could he not tell them? What subjects had he accumulated? What an advantage to be in the midst of them, a man who had seen, touched, undergone, and suffered, who could cry aloud to them, I have been near to everything from which you are so far removed. He would hurl reality in the face of those patricians crammed with illusions. They should tremble, for it would be the truth. They would applaud, for it would be grand. He would arise amongst those powerful men, more powerful than they. I shall appear as a torch-bearer to show them truth, and as a sword-bearer to show them justice. What a triumph! And building up these fantasies in his mind, clear and confused at the same time, he had attacks of delirium, sinking on the first seat he came to, sometimes drowsy, sometimes starting up. He came and went, looked at the ceiling, examined the coronets, studied vaguely the hieroglyphics of the emblazonment, felt the velvet of the walls, moved the chairs, turned over the parchments, read the names, spelt out the titles, Buxton, Humble, Grundraith, Hunkerville, Clancharley, compared the wax, the impressions, felt the twist of silk appended to the royal privy seal, approached the window, listened to the splash of the fountain, contemplated the statues, counted, with the patience of a somnambulist, the columns of marble, and said, it is real. Then he touched his satin clothes and asked himself, Is it I? Yes. He was torn by an inward tempest. In this whirlwind, did he feel faintness and fatigue? Did he drink, eat, sleep? If he did so, he was unconscious of the fact. In certain violent situations, instinct satisfies itself, according to its requirements, unconsciously. Besides, his thoughts were less thoughts than mists. At the moment that the black flame of an eruption disgorges itself from depths full of boiling lava, has the crater any consciousness of the flocks which crop the grass at the foot of the mountain? The hours passed. The dawn appeared and brought the day. A bright ray penetrated the chamber, and at the same instant broke on the soul of Gwynplaine. And dear, said the light. End of section eighty. Recording by Ecological Humanist. Ecologicalhumanist.wordpress.com.